Okay. I forgot how we do this. Um, Hello and welcome. Right. Okay, yes, right. <laughs> it's just, it's the first, it's the first episode back of season two. I just, I can't, it's been so long. Okay, okay. Welcome back to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where you can't trust the atoms because they make up everything. Yay! I'm so excited for season two. My name is Alistair, and I am a PhD candidate in analytical chemistry at Queen's University. My name is Sienna, and I am also a PhD candidate in neuroscience at McGill University. You sounded very unsure. Am I a PhD candidate in neuroscience at McGill University? Okay, you know what? I am a PhD candidate in neuroscience at McGill University. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. These are all facts. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Beth. I'm a PhD student at Sapienza University in Rome doing particle physics. And we are your PhD three. To be. To be. Thank you for staying with us through season one, by the way, if you're here already listening in. Uh, spring of 2021 we're trying to predict the future here so (laughs) (laughs) spring i thought we were releasing this in january i thought it was yeah january is definitely winter (laughs) like in the northern hemisphere january is definitely winter like winter of 2021 i hope things are better yeah uh, happy new year to you yeah thank you for rejoining Mm us for another season um, mm-hmm. I'm kicking things off today with some, some chemistry and Sienna, you've, you've kind of, um, I don't know, been critical of me for not picking topics that were chemistry enough for you, I guess. I've dabbled in some biology and some physics, which chemistry often does. So today I wanted to do a, a deep dive into one chemical. Uh-oh. Okay. So we're going to talk is about one chemical. Is it safe to do that though? Was, is that biosafe? It's, is that like Wimis? Is uh, Wimis gonna get mad at you for diving into a chemical? We, we can. <laughs> it depends which chemical it is, presumably. We will suit up with all of our PPE, and we will make sure that we dive in safely according to Wimis standards. Because I, I, we should be careful though, because I want to talk about its dangers and the effects that it has on our body and the environment. I then talk about the chemistry behind this molecule, and then some cool facts about it. I have a question. Yes, Beth. I already have a question. We haven't even started yet. What is WIMIS? You just said WIMIS standards. Sorry. What does that stand for? Workplace Hazards Management? W-H-M-I-S? Something, something. Workplace Hazards Material Information... Workplace Hazardous Materials Information System. It's like a safety training. Okay. All right. We got there in the end. So... I want to talk about this chemical. I want to start with its its dangers and the effects, and then we're going to look at it from its chemistry. And then I want to tell you some, I think there's like four facts I have that are super cool about this that I like. This is why I'm talking about it. Um, are we going to take guesses on what chemical we think it is before you No, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it is. Yeah, I'd love I'm gonna to. I'm going to tell you what I it is, but I want to say... Why can't we just guess? We want to guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't, yeah, like I have a guess of what okay, chemical yeah. it is. Okay, you can, you can, you can, you can just make say your guesses, before. but if you've heard of it, I want you to hold on to anything that, that you might say until later, because I might actually answer some of your questions about it and stuff, okay? So, but make okay. your guesses of what you think All this right. mystery chemical might be. Okay, now, like, my guess is completely gone, because I thought it was going to be water. Oh, okay. But now you're like, if you've ever heard of it, and I'm like, yeah, I've definitely heard of water. <laughs> okay, well, um, what we're talking about today is oxidane. So maybe you've heard of oxidane, maybe you haven't, but let's jump into the danger, dangerous effects of oxidane. So... First of all, on the human body, oxidane is is kind of kind of dangerous. Um, inhalation can cause serious lung damage and even death. Ingestion of large quantities of oxidane can cause nausea and vomiting. Prolonged exposure to solid oxidane can cause severe tissue damage. Oxidane gas causes severe burns. It also causes hyponatremia, which is like low blood sodium, electrolyte imbalance, and seriously impedes brain function. So it's like not a benign chemical no i know oxidane's not, not nice. why are we talking about it why are we giving so much time because to such a scary thing 
Because <laughs> I think it's super cool. I know. So Oxidane... Alistair's really into, like, people getting hurt. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm really into this, this chemical. Look how really cool this dangerous chemical is that will destroy your brain and your blood and your lungs. I'm really excited to find yeah. out what it is about it that makes Alistair so excited. I'm really excited to even find out what it is. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to the we'll yeah. get to the chemistry of oxidant in a bit, but I want to talk now about its mm-hmm. environmental impacts because they're also not very nice. So it's a greenhouse gas and it's 10 times more abundant than CO2 in our atmosphere. It oxidant can significantly break down soil. Yeah. It can break down soil. They should really be calling it oxidanger. Oxidanger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one that'll be our tagline thank you um (laughs) so it it also can break down the soil which leads can lead to like landslides and erosion and stuff um interestingly thousands of gallons of oxidane are dumped into rivers and waterways from industries and there's no regulation or federal oversight on this like they're not they don't look for it um it was actually a key factor in the the brumangino dam disaster in brazil in 2019 there was a tailings dam at an oil mine, uh, an ore mine, an iron ore mine, and it released a mud flow and killed 270 people. So, like, it has serious impacts. Um, and they've even found detectable levels of oxidane in the Greenland ice cores that date back as far as 130,000 years ago. So it's been, like, in our atmosphere for over 130,000 years. Can I ask another question? Sure. How long ago is 130,000 years? Like before people or st- were there still people? Like 130,000 trips around the sun. Uh, thank you. But like put that into some perspective. Like were there dinosaurs? No. From what I'm seeing here, just a quick Google search, there is a study that is debated, but there is a study that humans reached the Americas 130,000 years ago. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Like they crossed over the ice fields between Russia and... Okay. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it's that right. type yeah. of oldness. So it it's bad for humans, you know, can cause Lung tissue damage. damage and burns and, and can kill you. Um, and it's bad for the environment. But here's the other interesting part about oxidane. Okay. So the structure of oxidane was determined in 1791 by Henry Cavendish, but it's been used in many applications since then. It's used, uh, has been used for many years as an industrial solvent and a coolant. It's used in nuclear power plants. It is a component of pepper spray and some tear gases. It's used in commercial swimming pools to maintain the chemical balance. It's used extensively, interestingly, by by performance athletes, and it's not currently screened for in urine tests. I think this is an interesting one because, like, there's a lot of things that athletes take to like improve their performance and like help them out and obviously you can't screen for everything in a urine test so oxidane is one that they're not screening for um why are athletes so interested in oxidane we'll get to its structure don't worry we'll get to its structure there's current research done by nasa mit and even queens that looks at oxidane um our lab doesn't do oxidane research but there are a few profs at queens that are working on like specific projects on oxidane. It's also used as an additive to some pharmaceuticals and prepared foods and is a preservative for fresh fruits and vegetables in many grocery stores in North America. And I think Europe, I couldn't find exactly if they use it in Europe, okay. but um, I think they might use it in Europe as well. And in the US and Canada, products can be labeled certified organic, yet they can still contain large amounts of oxidane even though it's a component of many pesticides. Whoa! So even if they're using pesticides that contain oxidane, they don't necessarily have to say that it's non-organic. Um, there is a move in, I was reading about this in the pesticide industry, there's a move away from oxidine, oxidane, oxidane-containing pesticides. However, the alternatives um, are still in development. They're looking at using like canola oil or baking soda or like genetically modified crops that have built-in protections against pests. So um, they're moving away from this uh, oxidane-containing pesticides, but uh, they still persist and can be certified organic even if they use oxidane. I know you were saying is like baking soda and canola oil as like a replacement within the pesticide itself. But I was definitely thinking farmers <laughs> sprinkling baking soda on their plants individually. No, no, I think that's actually what they're doing. <laughs> and the canola oil too. 
I think I think they're there, coating their plants in canola oil. <laughs> yeah, like spraying oil on the plants to prevent huh. pests. I didn't so look that too they much just into slip it, off. But they can't get a grip. <laughs> yeah. I I think so. Yeah. Yes, but... Cool. Well, so yeah, okay, so those are the kind of top dangers and environmental impacts and stuff about oxidane. Um, but it's still everywhere, so clearly it's not so dangerous that it would kill you just looking yeah. at it. Well, looking at it's fine, but like if you inhale it, <laughs> it'll kill you. Right, but you said that it's. Yeah, but if you eat you it on your food, it's fine. You said that it's 10 times more abundant than carbon dioxide, so that's like, what, 2% of the atmosphere? Mm, no. No, it's uh, 0.4% of the atmosphere, because nitrogen makes up so much of our atmosphere. Okay. 70%. Right. I thought that CO2 was like. Yeah. Point two, but I'm obviously wrong. No, C- CO2 is point okay. zero four percent of our atmosphere. So, yeah, it's dangerous and it's everywhere. But like you mm-hmm. said, like small amounts ingesting it is not going to kill you. But it still mm-hmm. is concerning because it's quite prevalent. And like in my research, when we're looking at toxic elements, you know, if you have a little bit of arsenic in this food, and then a little bit of arsenic in your rice, and then a little right, bit of arsenic in your drinking water, yeah. it accumulates. And like mm-hmm. that's when arsenic becomes a problem, is because it, it can accumulate in your body. Um, so what is what is oxidane from a yes, chemical standpoint? Us. Well, it's a strongly polar molecule, which is amphoteric, which means that it can act both as an acid cool. and a base. And this is why it has so many uses as like an industrial solvent and a coolant and in power plants and stuff. Um, also why it's like super good at eroding soils and like breaking down soils and stuff. Um, and also I'm why just it's dying to know the toxic. chemical formulation. Like, um, yeah, I was gonna say, can you see tell that? me, it's a colorless, odorless liquid at room temperature, and a white crystalline solid. Straight from your notes, and just tell form. me the, tell and me so, the chemical. Oxidate. Well, oxidate. Oxidane is the IUPAC name. IUPAC is the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, so they name compounds. Um, so it's called oxidane. It's also known as DHMO, which stands for dihydrogen monoxide. Whoa! Whoa! You did. You were doing a thing on water. No wonder you wouldn't tell us the chemical. I said it was water. That's totally got it right. (laughs) You guessed it before I even said what it was. Uh, we should have known. I freaking said it. People are trying to make pesticides without water. Whoa! Oh my god. So do you want me to go back through all of these and, and read them yeah. again now that you know what the compound is? <laughs> yeah. Because they're all true. Okay, so. Human health impacts. Inhalation can cause serious lung damage and even death. You can that drown. Sense. Oh my god. Ingestion of large quantities can cause nausea and yeah. vomiting. Uh-huh. I mean, if you drink a lot of water. Also, if you drink a lot of water, there's something called water toxicity, but I didn't want to talk about that because it's called water toxicity um prolonged exposure to solid oxidane causes severe tissue damage because you cold like you get uh what's it called frostbite frostbite yeah oxidane gas can cause severe yeah because it's hot (laughs) yes it can cause hyponatremia which is low blood sodium if you dilute your blood you get low blood sodium electrolyte imbalance same concept and seriously impede brain functions. If you no dilute the blood, way. it does not help the Can brain. Can you really dilute your blood enough, though, with water? Like, how would mm-hmm. you... That's what that's what water toxicity is. If you drink around seven liters of water over a very short period of time, you can cause your, your blood to be diluted, and it can seriously hurt you. Whoa. So for the environmental impacts, oxidane is a greenhouse yeah, gas. Water vapor that. actually is a greenhouse gas. Mm-hmm. And it is 10 times more abundant mm-hmm. than CO2. Water vapor is in air. Just often when we talk about the composition of air, we talk about dry air, where the water has been removed. Because, you know, water's harmless. So we don't... We want to look right, at what yeah. else is in the air. It also... I, I was a little bit misleading. It varies. Water composition in air varies depending on where you are and how close you are to sea level. Um, it actually sense. varies between... 0.4% to 1%. So it's actually 10 times okay. to 25 times more abundant than Same CO2. Same order of magnitude, though. Is that because some places are super humid? <laughs> like Montreal and in so... the summer? Or also Rome in the summer. Like, I don't know how it compares to Montreal, but like, yeah. Or they're probably about the same, I would say, having experienced yeah. both. 
Oxidane can significantly break down soil, leading to landslides and erosion. Yeah. Refer to CF episode one, where we talked about non-Newtonian fluids. If you want to know more about landslides and water. <laughs> Sienna, you're so upset. I was like, something wasn't adding up when you said gallons if they're dumped in like rivers. And I was like, how are people dumping so much of something in rivers that's mm-hmm. not water? <laughs> I also, yeah, I said that thousands of gallons are dumped into rivers and waterways, well, which, you know, yeah. it's, it's water. It's what makes up those rivers and waterways. Um, it also was a key factor. I wanted to find something that was like a kind of big event that happened recently of, of, uh, you know, a, a mining accident mm-hmm. or something, um, which it, it actually was a very serious accident. Yeah. Um, but it was a tailings dam, and, and tailings are, are large ponds mm-hmm. of water um, that hold uh, yeah, waste, waste from the mine. And uh, detectable levels of oxidane have been found in the Greenland ice cores dating as far back as 130,000 years ago. Detectable levels of oxidane. They're literally ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're made of oxidane. Yes, yeah, so now it makes sense that that's when like humans went over to North America because like there was the ice age. And am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I just picked one hundred and thirty thousand years ago because that's what the National Science Foundation's ice core facility said they had their okay, ice cores dating right. back till. I could have picked Antarctic ones that went back like two hundred seventy thousand, two hundred eighty thousand years. But I figured that was kind of so far that it wasn't plausible that it could be a like man-made chemical kind of thing. So I was trying to keep mm. it within the realm of plausibility. I love this. This is hilarious. So for the prevalence, uh, the structure of water was determined in mm-hmm. 1791 by Henry Cavendish. Um, it's used as an industrial solvent and coolant, which we'll talk about because I want to tell you the four fun facts about water. One, it's delicious and I drink lots. <laughs> it's delicious. We'll get there. It's used as a solvent and a coolant. It's used in nuclear power plants. It is used in pepper spray. Not all tear gases use water. Some of them use aerosolized particles. It's used in commercial swimming pools to maintain the I should I should hope. (laughs) Well, yes. I liked this one. It's used extensively by performance athletes and is not because it's that is urine. urine Where'd you screen for? Yeah, look, there's water in this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only urine that there isn't yeah. water in is like um, kidney stones. That's not good. Yeah, and that's not good. You're that's that's right. Yeah. Um it is target of ongoing it is the target of ongoing research at NASA and MIT in Queens. NASA obviously looking for mm-hmm. water on Mars and other planets. MIT does water research and Queens actually has an institute uh, for water research. So it, it's talking about water being and stuff. It's an additive in pharmaceuticals, prepared foods, and as a preservative for fresh fruits and vegetables and grocery stores. I mean, grocery stores in North America at least yeah. have those little sprayers that spray water onto yeah. the fresh fruits really? and vegetables. Really? That's weird. I didn't know. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. It just like keeps them um, wet, so that they don't wilt. I think it just keeps yeah. the lettuce from Which wilting. Which keeps them crisp. Makes them look yeah. nice. Yeah. No, you get that. Like that. The spraying of water makes me more think, like, in the summer, when, like, mm-hmm. under canopies or whatever, and, like, bars and stuff, and they, like, spray water to, like, keep you cool. It's so nice. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. It's just for fruits and fruits vegetables, and vegetables. <laughs> not for humans. <laughs> to keep the fruits and vegetables at a nice temperate temperature. We're really concerned about the health and safety of our fruits and vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> we are. And, <laughs> and Beth, comfort. we'll actually talk about... Hold on to that thought about the summertime when they have those sprayers, because we'll talk about why they use those things in a bit, though. Let's get through the rest of these oxidane fun facts. The U.S. and Canada products can be labeled as certified organic, but they can still contain oxidane. Well, yes. Because it's a component of pesticides. I mean, it's also a component of fruits and vegetables. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just failed to omit that. But there is research looking into moving away from pesticides, not necessarily that contain water, but moving away from water-based pesticides Mm -hmm. to things like canola oil and genetically modified crops that don't need spray on I pesticides. I mean, if you have, so, like, a soluble pesticide, then it's going to be much more likely to leach everywhere, too, right? Exactly. Oh, uh, I was I thinking, thinking, like, um, water conservation. Probably also that. That's what my um, mind was. Maybe a component of it, but, like, when you're growing fruits and vegetables, you need mm-hmm. a lot of water to grow them, so... so you dilute the so pesticide. Like, the water you add yeah, to your yeah. pesticide okay. mixes. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that's the that's the fun facts and dangers yeah, now that we know. I can't well. believe IUPAC so named cool. water oxidane. Come on, IUPAC. 
Yeah, call it so water. I know. I was call it what it is. We now have to get into that. Like that was gonna be my next question as well. Like why? Why? Why is IUPAC still allowed to exist? That's my next question. <laughs> so okay, well, well, hold on, Sienna. I can't let you say that. Yeah, um, they'll come after me. So when I was doing research for this, I'd actually found um, this website. Uh, that talks about dihydrogen monoxide, mm-hmm. DHMO. I've seen that before. And I really wanted to try, and I've only ever heard it referenced as DHMO, mm-hmm. you know, the chemical yeah. DHMO. And so I was going to try and, like, sneak that in without you guys knowing right. that it was water. And then doing my research, I found out that water is also mm-hmm. called oxidane. And I was like, well, I've never heard it called oxidane. So I doubt you yeah. guys have ever heard it called that. So if I use the word oxidane, mm-hmm. we're safe. And then I'll call it DHMO, dihydrogen monoxide. Maybe you'll remember back to first year chemistry and naming molecules and mm-hmm. you'll get it, which you did. And I'm so glad I, I got yeah. to dupe you up until we were pretty duped. Yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. point in our episode. Mm-hmm. So. I was duped the whole time. I was confused. I was concerned. I was like, what is this chemical? Like, it can't be that dangerous. <laughs> it can't be that bad. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. Like, let's consider the state of the world. I was like, if it's this ubiquitous, it's clearly like existing naturally in some form in our environment and we've just never heard of it which i guess was the case but like yeah i think yeah exactly but i would like to use this opportunity i don't know whether this is what you wanted to do alistair but i would like to say that just because something is natural that doesn't mean that it's not dangerous Mm -hmm. this is what i wanted to say and i also wanted to say that just because something's a chemical doesn't mean that it's dangerous everything is a chemical it's good. It's mm-hmm. it's good. Good to be skeptical. Never trust Alistair. Yeah, That's what good. I know. And, and... <laughs> no. And if you remember my tagline, atoms can't be trusted. Yeah. They make up everything. They make up everything, and you made up everything. Yeah. I didn't make anything up though. It's all it's all true facts about water. In fact, doing doing my research for this, it was funny because I was looking up, you know, uh, LD fifty of water, which is the lowest dose that kills fifty percent of a population of a substance. And often when you look up more mm-hmm. dangerous chemicals, you get that right away. You get how toxic it is and the warning labels and the signs. And I looked up, you know, toxicity mm-hmm. of water, like dangers of water. And it was just kind of like telling me about water. Just like the Wikipedia entry for water was all about it, the water cycle and, you know, its yeah. use in swimming pools and stuff. And I was like, no, how does it kill people? <laughs> um, so I'm so sorry I duped you guys. I'm so mean. But now I want to talk about my favorite things chemically about water. So I want to tell you some of the really cool things about water that I learned about way back in high school and didn't really appreciate at the time, but now with greater now with a greater understanding of chemistry, I want to highlight to you and and highlight again because I think water doesn't get the appreciation it deserves. So Beth, you were going to say something. You had a a thing about water. A cool fact about water. Isn't, I don't know if it's a cool fact, but, like, it's, um, the, the thing that I was going to say is that I understand why it's used as a coolant. In fact, it's using it as a coolant in, like, a mm-hmm. lot of physics experiments as well, because it's specific heat capacity is really high, right? Yes, I will talk about that in a sec. It's, it's really okay. interesting. Am I, am I stealing your thunder? Kind of. <laughs> okay. The point is that it can absorb a lot of heat before it evaporates, right? Do you know why that is? I think I did when I did A-level chemistry. Uh, because it's polar. Yes, that's a reason. So its intermolecular forces are stronger. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about this. So the first thing is that water is a universal solvent. This is my first cool fact, and it will touch on the heat capacity. So water is a universal solvent because it is very polar, which you said. Something is polar when it has no net charge, meaning the molecule itself isn't charged, but there's an unequal distribution of charge along the molecule. And so Uh one side of water is slightly positive and the other side is slightly negative. This is because water, the formula for water is H2O, as many people know. And that oxygen is what's called very electronegative. It really, really wants electrons. So it actually pulls the electrons from the hydrogens closer to itself, making that side a little bit more negative and the other side a little bit more positive. Mm -hmm. And so because water is polar, it means that it can form what's called hydrogen bonds with other polar molecules and itself. And 
hydrogen bonds are the strongest type of intermolecular force, which means that we're not making an actual bond of two atoms, but it's two atoms or two molecules interacting with each other very strongly. As in most things, the world is not black and white. Things are not bonded and unbonded. There's a whole bunch of different types of bonding. And so water dissolves hydrophilic compounds, hydrophilic meaning water-loving, mm -hmm. and it repels hydrophobic compounds. And so this is actually what allows water to create mm -hmm. what are called micelles, which is basically a glob of water surrounded by um, hydrophobic oil or hydrophobic fats. Huh. And this is how cells are made. I Another know. cool thing huh. is that water dissolves ionic compounds. And so water can stabilize both the positive and negative ions of other ionic compounds, like, I don't know, salt. And so water can associate with the positive ions, like sodium, and the negative ions, like chlorine, and stabilize them. So you can dissolve a salt in water and then surround it by a little oil cell, and you've got a little a little protective package that you can send places and move around. Oh, that's so cool. And I mean, cool. I'm basically now just describing cells, so I'll let Sienna, you know, take it from here. <laughs> Not but... really, because you're forgetting the double lipid bilayer, you know, the organelles, the non-membranous yes. no, organelles. Right. Cells are much more complicated, but water is essential for cells to form. Yeah, exactly. Which is why NASA looks for water on other planets as a sign of potentially having life, because we yeah. can't imagine life without and so water. These... The interesting thing I never thought about is when you shake salt into water and it disappears, it dissolves, what's happening is the water is forming these hydration spheres. So all of the water molecules are orienting around either the positive um, sodium or the negative chlorine and keeping it stable within the solution. And I'll post a photo of a diagram of these hydration spheres because they're pretty cool to think about how the water either points towards, with the hydrogens, its partial positive charge points towards the chlorine, to, to stabilize it, or the oxygen, the ne partial mm -hmm. negative, points towards the positive sodium. And so it's, they orient differently. Oh hmm. man, you're making me miss chemistry. Yay, that's my goal. <laughs> miss chemistry, join us. Join us. <laughs> so that's my first cool fact, is it's a universal solvent, which I think is super cool. The next one, Beth, you talked about, is it has a high heat capacity, but it also has a high heat of vaporization. So let's talk about the heat capacity first of all. Beth, you basically kind of already explained all this, which is great. Um, the hydrogen bonding... Oh, I remember what it yeah. is. I remember the definition of the heat capacity. It's not It's, it's not to do with the... Um, or, like, it's not directly to do with the heat of vaporization or, like, the, temp, like the uh, evaporation temperature no. or whatever. It's boiling point. It's the amount of energy that you have to put in to raise the temperature by one degree celsius the amount of temperature per mole Gram. is the specific heat okay uh, or per right. mole it, you, can, you can have Sorry. it in units by mole um i have stuff in grams here okay because if we think about it so yes the specific okay. heat capacity and this is an interesting thing that i've also kind of never really thought about until i started to take chemistry is that the specific heat capacity like you said is the heat energy that's required to increase or decrease one gram of a substance by one degree Celsius. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. um, water has a very high heat capacity, mm -hmm. meaning you have to put a lot of energy in just to raise the temperature by one degree. Mm -hmm. And we don't really think about this. We think about boiling the kettle. We think about like making pasta, like boiling the water for pasta. You, you just kind of put it on and add heat and it takes a while and it boils. But if, if we lived in a world where yeah. there was another substance um, that we use to cook pasta. I don't know. Like, well, I don't know. I think about this like a lot because it takes so long to boil a pot of water, but it does not take very long to get hot oil. Like oil heats exactly. up That's so fast. Way of about it. <laughs> so, so fast. Okay. Mm -hmm. Water, mm -hmm. you can leave the pot yeah. on the stove forever. And if you don't have a lid on it, it's just like never going to heat up. Even if you have it on hot, it's going to take like 10 minutes. Oil takes like two minutes, three minutes, you know? Yeah, and so that's that's because water has a high mm -hmm. specific heat capacity. And I have here um, that because it's high heat capacity, it takes a long time to heat up and cool down. It works in both directions. And um, what I found is that it's, it's heat capacity of water is five times that of sand. So like sand will heat up and cool down a lot faster, or even oil, we can talk about oil. Oil will heat up and cool down faster than water. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. When you go to the beach on a hot day and the sand is burning mm -hmm. your feet, but the mm -hmm. sea is is still freezing. Yes. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And 
this is a perfect use in biological applications um, mm-hmm. to disperse heat around a body. So warm-blooded animals like humans, we have water in our blood to keep us at a you know constant kind of temperature mm-hmm. because no matter if we're in a hot environment or a cold environment, along with other right. factors, obviously, but if we're in a hot environment or a cold environment, we're not going to heat up and cool down very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so a similar concept but different is the heat of vaporization. And so we've, we were kind of talking about this, but the heat of vaporization is the amount of energy required to completely change one gram of a liquid substance into a gas. So water has not only a high specific heat capacity, but a high heat of vaporization. So in order for us to turn liquid water into a gas, we have to break these hydrogen bonds, which requires a lot of energy. And they're very strong in water, so it takes a lot of energy to do this. It actually takes about 533 calories per gram of water. A calorie is a unit of measurement of energy. It also is a unit of measurement of the food you eat, which is related to the energy unit. So I'm talking about small c calories here, not big c. Big c calories is the food you eat. Small c calorie is energy. And so water, as we said, is a good heat sink because it takes 533 calories of energy per gram to convert it from liquid to gas. To think about something else, ethanol has weaker hydrogen bonding, and so it more Mm -hmm. readily undergoes this phase change, and the heat of vaporization of ethanol is 221 calories per gram. So not thinking about where it boils or where it doesn't boil, like not temperature, not talking about the heat capacity, but to turn one gram of ethanol into gas, it takes 221 calories. To turn one gram of water into water vapor or water gas it'll take 533 calories so a lot more energy which makes sense like in these times everybody like we don't know how it's gonna be in 2021 we're still in 2020 um recording this but like wash your hands like go and wash your hands right now or like if you don't have uh soap and water use a hand sanitizer and like if you put a hand sanitizer on like ethanol hand sanitizer then it evaporates really quickly Mm -hmm. and like within a couple of seconds you've got dry hands Mm -hmm. whereas if you wash your hands and you don't dry them then you can be there for minutes with wet hands Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is this is something that i again never really thought about until i started to study chemistry is okay so it takes 10 minutes to get water from 25 degrees Mm -hmm. celsius room temperature to 100 degrees celsius it's boiling point that takes time because it's a heat sink, right? It has a high specific heat capacity. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. once we reach 100 degrees Celsius, if you had a thermometer in a boiling pot of water, the temperature does not increase above 100 degrees Celsius until all the water is boiled off. And so, mm. you know, it, it may not take, if you have an induction cooktop and it's super fast and you can boil water in three minutes, okay, yeah, it, it gets up to 100 degrees Celsius in three minutes. But then it still takes a long time to convert that pot of water entirely into a gas because it has a high heat of vaporization. Also, even below its boiling point, so if we're not at 100 degrees Celsius, the kinetic interactions between the movement of the water molecules will still cause sometimes water molecules to get enough energy to break free of their hydrogen bonds and become a gas. And so these, they break the hydrogen bonds and they vaporize. This process is known as evaporation. So an interesting thing about evaporation, which is when we're having water breaking free of these hydrogen bonds below 100 degrees Celsius, is that this still takes 533 calories per gram. Like it still takes energy to Mm. do this. So when Mm -hmm. a hydrogen gets that energy and leaves, it's taking the energy from the environment. And so evaporation actually cools the surroundings because this energy has to come from somewhere. And so as you mentioned earlier, Sienna, we sweat. Mm Why do we sweat? Why do we get all wet and, and sticky and gross? Well, because when we sweat, this yeah. water evaporates and actually causes a, a yep. small That's area hot. of our skin to be cooler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is why these fan sprayer things and in restaurants in Rome and stuff use water is because the fine droplets of air as they fly through the hot air, the fine droplets of water as they fly through the hot air evaporate causing the air around it to cool. So when you get hit with the water, I mean, it's also the water evaporating on your skin that feels nice, but the air that's hitting you is also cooler too. So cool. So, Thanks, water. See, this is what I'm saying, <laughs> is water is underappreciated. 
I appreciate water tons. I'm sure I, you do. I, I'm sure you do, Sienna. I get it. I'm sure there's people who don't think about these things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so the next cool fact is that water is cohesive and adhesive. So because of the hydrogen bonding, it's all because of the hydrogen bonding, liquid water sticks together really well, which means that it's mm-hmm. cohesive. And so this is why you can like fill a glass up with water and just overfill it a little bit without it spilling. Mm. Because that has a high surface tension. Yeah. And so like all the molecules on the surface of the water are holding on to each other really, really tightly as they like careen over the edge. It does. But one of my favorite things to do is to like um, get a straw, ideally a reusable or like biodegradable, like somehow environmentally friendly straw, but, but to get a straw and to like stick your thumb over the end when it's in the in the glass when it's in the liquid and create a vacuum and if you lift it up then you can like see the like water coming up with mm-hmm. it and this is how bartenders taste the drinks that they make to make sure that they oh, make really right. what like by dropping it into yeah. their mouth they put a straw in your drink put their finger over the oh, top yes. take it out try the liquid that's in the straw because it, they're not tasting it's not like they have yeah, to yeah, sip yeah. your drink. They're just like taking out a small little package of the drink. Sorry, Sienna, I thought you meant that they fill up your, overfill your glass just so that the surface tension is <laughs> in, and they just go, <laughs> and just suck off the little top layer. <laughs> they vacuum off the little top bit. Yeah, that's how bartenders taste your drink, right? Um, it, so, and then the, the cohesive force also means that you can float some, something that's heavier than water, like a metal needle, you can float it on the surface of water because you're not breaking that cohesive force of the surface. And so this is how, you know, compasses kind of work. We were talking about in our, go listen to our episode about compasses and the Earth's magnetic field. Um, you yeah. can take a needle and magnetize it and float it on the water. This is how little water skeeters run on top of the water. I was going to say, it's also how some insects walk on water. And so then also similarly with the cohesive force, it has an adhesive force. So because it's polar, as we said, it can be attracted to other water molecules or other polar molecules. And so um, when... Water's adhesive force is stronger than its cohesive force. It'll actually pull itself along a surface that it's adhesing to. Whoa. And so if you think if if you have like a capillary tube, which is a very small glass tube, it's very thin. If you put that in water, the water will actually draw itself up the capillary tube because it's pulling itself along the charged glass surface. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. You can also see this in other examples, like if you fill up a glass with water and you look right at the surface of the water, you can see what's called the meniscus as the water kind of dips upwards. That's it, yeah. it pulling itself up along the side of the glass. And so, it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing, I, I've got a lot of biological aspects because water is super important for life. And we often, this is how I learned it in high school is like water is important for life because it has a high specific heat capacity. And it's like, oh, cool. It's hot, whatever. But like, Understanding the chemistry now, I can really appreciate why it's important for life. Mm-hmm. And capillary action is super important for plants because they have to pull water from their roots yeah. to their yeah. tippy-toppy leaves. And how this works is that at the leaves, the water is evaporating. Mm-hmm. And so when a water molecule evaporates in leaves, it pulls all the other water molecules mm-hmm. along the stem and down into the roots. And that's how water gets up there. It's like pulling on like a chain 100%. link. I remember yeah. doing experiments with celery and like putting sticks of celery in water with food coloring in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you can see the like the colored mm-hmm. water going up. So like I don't think you you can see it in real time, but like if you leave it there for a couple of days or whatever, you can see that. You can do this with flowers too and you can like dye their petals That's so different cool. colors. Yeah. I did I did that as a science experiment in high school and I think there's a video on my YouTube channel that has, has that. high school youtube channel check it <laughs> out throwback to like grade 10 yeah, yeah. oh no don't check it we out we will 100 percent link that <laughs> maybe we'll see how i feel about it i gotta rewatch it i think it has copyright music that's fine so yeah capillary action super mm-hmm. important for plants super cool thing about water it's cohesive and adhesive forces okay and then finally this is the the big one that the i think i one. didn't appreciate enough in high school drum Solid roll water. please Brrr. Solid water is less dense than liquid water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this kind of makes sense, right? Ice floats. Ice floats. You put ice in a drink, it floats. Like, that's just how it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. But think about it from a chemistry perspective, okay? Water freezes mm-hmm. at zero degrees Celsius. 
When it freezes, there's not enough energy to break the hydrogen bonds, which means that solid water has a lower density than liquid water. I think I knew this in high school, right? Like, you know, water will expand when it freezes, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. this isn't found in other liquids. Other liquids don't do this. Like, there must when, be some, right? No, well, specifically made ones that, like, yes, there are some that this can happen with, but not kind of naturally occurring. I think... Okay. Because very rare. in other liquids, as the temperature drops, the molecules actually pack more tightly together, which lowers right. the kinetic energy yeah. and increases the density. You know, they, they get scrunched mm-hmm. together into a, a more compact cube. Not all cubes, but you can think of it as a cube. But in water, the hydrogen bonds orient a bit differently as it freezes, and so it actually mm-hmm. pushes the water molecules further apart, making it less dense. And so, you know... It, I, I never really thought about the fact that other liquids, when they freeze, get more dense, or when they become a solid, they become more dense. Really weird to think about, you know, a, a block of gold as frozen gold, but it is. It's not not frozen. Um, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's um, and, but this is super interesting and, and super important for bodies of water, because as the temperature drops, ice will float on top of the water. If water didn't behave this way, lakes would freeze from the bottom up because as stuff froze, it would sink to the bottom and and keep Mm. sinking to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so nothing would be able to survive in a lake over the winter because the water would completely freeze. The lake would completely freeze into a solid block and nothing would survive that. And so that is super important for life as well. And since water has a high heat capacity, deeper water stays at more at a more consistent mm-hmm. habitable temperature year round. Yeah. So whether it's winter or summer, deep, deep, deep in a lake or in the ocean, it's going to be the same temperature. Which is probably very cold, but yeah. It's going to be cold, don't <laughs> yeah. get me wrong, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's like it five degrees, I think. So that's my fun facts about water. It, you know, is less dense, which is not common. It's, it's less dense in its solid form, which is not common to other liquids. It has a high heat capacity and heat of vaporization. It's cohesive and adhesive, and it's a great polar solvent. And I think we just need to give like a, a little round of applause, a pat on the back to, to water. Thank you, water. We love you so much. Or as it's known by its IUPAC name, Oxidane. Oxidane, you make great tea. This is true. Oh my gosh. It's a great at extractions, mm. liquid extractions. Mm. Extractions. Mm-hmm. Used it as an industrial solvent. Yeah. Yeah. So my final tagline, I kind of already said this, but my final tagline was, don't believe everything you read on the internet or get alarmed by chemicals. Because really, everything is a chemical. Yeah. You're just a bunch of chemicals put together. It's true. Exactly. We're all just a bunch of chemicals talking about chemicals, using chemicals. Could you imagine if we all went around with, like, those nutrition (laughs) fact labels on our faces? Like... I am this much vitamin A and this much vitamin C and this much oxidane. <laughs> it's would like be tattooed cool. on our backs. Nutritional facts. One daily serving I'm of sure sienna is exists. this many. <laughs> but like, would it update in real time? That'd be kind of cool if it could. Yeah, like if you had like a big sugar Maybe. binge, would it like update? Yeah. Or if you... This actually gets, this gets to the uh, philosophical question is of if I weigh, if I weigh mm-hmm. two pounds and I eat a pound of wings, does that then make me 50% wings? No, it makes you 33% wings. True. No, no, sorry, I said I'm two pounds. Yeah, but yeah, then but you'll... you ate a pound of wings. Yeah, and then it'll be three pounds. Oh, true, then I would be three pounds. <laughs> You're right, my math is off. Anyway, um, I wanted to get back to something we were talking about. Why NASA is so interested in looking for water on other planets is because of these key facts. Mm-hmm. Because... Not many other substances we know of do these kind of things mm-hmm. and are able to support life in this way, as you as you touched on, Sienna. But if we there was um like if we found a lake of ethanol, I think there is there's or methane. There's a lake of methane on one of Saturn's moons. I think it's interesting and it's it's an interesting thing that there's liquid methane, but probably is not going to have life in it because methane is not good at doing these things creating cells mm-hmm. supporting structures um having heat like holding in heat and stuff and so we probably won't mm-hmm. find life there 
which I think is just so interesting. I mean, there are some substances that maybe could, you know, you could build a cell out of different yeah. components, but water has this beautiful kind of, uh, I was going to say trifecta, but it's not three. There's a bunch of different factors that just contribute to it being so essential for life. It's like this balance or um, difference between volatility and stability, right? And most compounds are quite volatile in that they change and they're not in one form all the time or if they are that form is like if anything changes that form changes too much to like keep something that existed in like the liquid form if you like the liquid form of methanol well that's not very good because methanol doesn't like necessarily isn't going to stay that way for very long but water will pretty much always stay liquid mm-hmm. and is good at like managing its yeah. own yeah. heat and if it does freeze it's going to like put it away at the top so you don't have to worry about it you can still be in liquid water right so it like, creates this like beautiful stable environment mm-hmm. that allows things to grow and develop like because you need a lot of time for evolution to mm-hmm. happen and life yeah. to be created and if if you were trying to do it in something that like in a short amount of time goes from being solid to liquid to gas to liquid to solid <laughs> you're not <laughs> life is going to struggle to get a handhold in that but if you're in something liquid yeah, for millions, yeah. And millions and millions and millions of years yeah it might be slightly easier and so I think I think we can all appreciate water a little bit more now, and I hope our listeners will too. Cause... So are you ready for the quiz? Um, just a quick plug, if I may. Um, our social media is not yet a DR on Twitter, Instagram, not yet a doctor on Facebook. If you want to email in for questions, comments, complaints, phd32b at gmail.com. That's phd32b yeah. at gmail.com. That is correct. Thank you, Beth. I'm so ready for a quiz. Okay. First, I have to hear your buzzer sounds. Let's go with Sienna. Um, mine is going to be... Okay. Yeah? What, what is it? It's the sound of a wave crashing, but like a gentle one. Oh, a gentle wave. Nice. I like it. I'm going to test my whistling abilities to be a, ke- a kettle that's boiling. Okay. Because, obviously, tea is the most important use of water to me. So we're going to mm-hmm. try... Well, that's good. Actually, I like that. I that was, was worried very that it was going to be whistle. really, really loud in my ears. But that's, no, that's good. Wispy. Okay. Wispy. Okay. Great. Okay, so question numero uno. Uh-huh. What is the IUPAC name for water? <laughs> oh, you guys did that at the exact same time, but I think Sienna was slightly quicker. Should we say the name at the exact same time, Beth, too? Yeah, okay. Okay, on the count of three. three. One, two, two. three. Oxidase. <laughs> so, um, that was not at the same time in my ears. But I know. It wasn't can, at the same time in my ears. I also said it wrong. Um, and I, yeah. And I mean, you were incorrect. <laughs> yeah, it's I was oxidane. Yeah. Oxidase is something else. Which also, my spell check kept trying to want me to correct it to oxidase because it's, mm-hmm. it's a common what like, is oxidase? ending for enzyme? a lot of things. <laughs> it's an enzyme, oh, okay. yeah. So, uh, you know what? I have to give Sienna the point, unfortunately, because... <laughs> yeah, that, that's entirely fair. Okay. Question two. Approximately how many times more abundant is water than carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? Oh, I heard Beth first. Between 10 and 25 times. Percent. No, 10 and 25 times. 10 and 25 times. That's correct. It is uh, 0.4 to 1% for water versus 0.04 for carbon dioxide. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're, we're tied. Tiebreaker time. Um, what is the heat of vaporization defined as? Ooh, Beth. The amount of heat that you need to put in to a liquid to get one gram of it to, uh, or like better, the amount of heat that you need to put into one gram of a liquid to make it vaporize completely. Yes. Which is 532 calories. Yes, for water. For water. 530. I think you should get a bonus point for that. Yeah, I'll give you a bonus point. Yep. Okay, so it's still tied. I guess I have one bonus question to, to tie break <laughs> the tie break, but that's, you know, how this game works, I guess. Um, what is your favorite use for Oxidane? Oh. Oh, Beth has got hers right. She's got it right there. Yeah, but Beth already knows because she made her, was she already said that. I have to think about yeah. it there's so many uses. Yeah. I've got, like, a backup as well. Okay, Beth, what's your favorite use for Oxidane? My first one is tea. Okay, right. 
And then my second one is boiling water for pasta. And I'm sorry, both of those are incorrect. But uh, Sienna, do you have a... Uh... <laughs> um, I think mine, like, would just have to be its use in, like, the human body and bodies in general of, like, blood, cells, CSF, which is cerebral spinal fluid, for anyone listening, like the fact that it's, it, it's literally us. <laughs> we are, what is it? 70%? We water? are living water. Yeah. 70% water or something like that. Yeah. yeah. 60, something. So. Uh, unfortunately, that is not the answer I have written down here. Um, the correct answer is bubble bath. Ah, <laughs> so. oh, you're so right. You're so <laughs> That's right. a pretty great use of water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So neither of us gets the bonus point for the... Unfortunately not. We're just going to have to leave it as tied, I guess. um... Beth, you should have gotten that (laughs) one because of Bath. Like, we've known for millennia that Baths are the correct Uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) The Romans knew. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We went to Bath as well, didn't we? I could have made a cool fact about something about the Romans and Oxidane and... Anyway, waterways, aqueducts. Mm. The Romans transported it for... And the fact that, like, all human society is based around waterways. Like, building cities and towns. Yeah, Oxidane. Oxidane ways, you mean? Yeah. Oxidane Avenues. Oxidane Avenue, that's such a cute... <laughs> that's going to be the name of my next album. <laughs> Oxidane Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> Your next album, implying that you've already got several out. Find her on Bandcamp. <laughs> so, I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to this episode. I'd like to quickly <laughs> list my sources as dhmo.org, the National Science Foundation Ice Core Facility, the Biology Libre Texts Unit 2.2 on <laughs> water, Wikipedia, and Allison thank for you, our Allison. music. Thanks very much for listening. Please like and subscribe this episode wherever you're listening and follow us on the social medias at NotYetADR. And I have been Alistair and still continue to be Alistair. (laughs) I'm Sienna. I'm Beth. And we hope to have you listen again soon. Bye. Don't wait. Hydrate. Oh, God. That's perfect. (laughs) 